Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 420. You know, that's the thing that really baffles me is that there's so many missed opportunities because of fear. So, you know, I feel like we're successful when we can help people overcome all of those barriers. And whether it takes me several times to get through to one person, that's fine. Because what is the outcome after that? They actually found a new way to do something different, or maybe they reframed it, or I helped make it a little bit easier for them to get to the other side of where they want. What's that quote? Is like every single thing you want is on the other side of fear. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Maria Campbell. Maria, my girl, are you feeling unstoppable today? (laughs) Always and every day. (laughs) Yes. So Maria Campbell is the founder of Cooks Who Care. Cooks Who Care offers a food industry, or sorry, offers the food industry a new way to connect with their unique digital platform. They provide management and staff with a way to meet others in the same field and share leadership learning through online resources. And I got to give a quick shout out to my boy, Brooks Tanner. Thank you so much, man, for uh, introducing me to Maria. Uh, always looking out for me. This guy is awesome. And I can't wait to dive into your story, Maria, but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you offer us? Sure. Um, when I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. Um, I'm really big into like philosophy and just quotes that really just don't. Um, I think I was stuck on titles long. Thought you have to fit that mold. And when I let go of that, I really felt unstoppable. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I'm reading uh, The Master Key right now. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but it's a lot about just frame of mind. And we are our own worst enemies sometimes. We limit ourselves. We don't let ourselves meet our full potential just because we're just so, uh, I don't know, we just, we don't know if we have enough talent or if we're, you know, experienced enough. And we literally just limit ourselves. And that's, that's what I was thinking about with that quote. What do you think of that? 
Yeah, no, definitely. I think we're, we are our own worst enemies when it comes to that. And if we think about it in such a way, you can just put the brakes on something and be like, oh, I'm not good enough or I can't do this. Or, yeah, the limits just stack high as bricks as a wall. And um, for what we do, it's it's beyond that. And I, I think um, Cooks Who Care was not something I, I thought we were going to do right away, but it just kept happening. And as I look at people who are chefs, people, realtors, people in any facet of the industry, in any capacity, financial officers, um, they're more than that. <laughs> they're, they're parents, their husbands, their partners, they're living their lives. If I, if I look at anything that people share in common with that is I get into this title craze. And when you introduce yourself and you say, hi, my name is follows with the title of what you do. And for some people, what if I'm in a job transition? What if I lost my job or what if I'm trying to find the next thing? And then how do you communicate that, who you are? And I, I've seen so many people struggle with that. Um, you know, it's not just, hey, this is my name and I'm okay with that. It's just, that's what it is. I'm from, I'm from you know, wherever place of origin, you know, I think it's hard for people not to say the next line, you know, I'm a chef, I'm a whatever, you know, um, it's culturally, you know, that's what you do in a handshake. So I I think like it's, it's difficult for people. Like what if you were closing your business? What if you were, you know, and if you're not going to admit that, you know, the first thing you're doing is backing up yourself. Oh, 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 you know what I'm doing? I'm doing a million things and I'm consulting. I'm, I got, I got hands in a lot of stuff and it's like, but if you just felt okay with just being, it would be fine. Like who cares if you're in a transition and who cares if that's what you were doing? Like, what are you up to lately? What are your goals? What do you want to do? That's, that's more important. Um, and I think that's a lesson I I needed to learn myself. Awesome. Uh, so basically uh, I, I've discovered uh, cooks who care through Brooks Tanner, like I mentioned. And uh, I feel like it's part of my mission to help my listeners uh, explore and discover other resources. It's not all about just restaurant stoppable. I feel like I need to help create awareness about the other resources that are out there to help us uh, lo- learn. Uh, one of the, my past guests said Mary Allen Lindman or sorry, Mary Allen Lindman said, uh, s- you know, we always hear someone has to do something about this, right? Somebody has to make a change in our community or whatever it is. But the truth is we need to do something about it, right? Uh, we need to yeah. share knowledge. We, if, if we want to see change, we need to start doing something about it. And that's why I want to spotlight you because you're one of those people out there making a difference, making a change in Philadelphia. And I know that you eventually want to reach outward, but before we really dive into who you are and like, I guess like what you're doing, let's, let's really dive back to, uh, I guess where you started with everything. So, um, I guess where, where did it all start for you? Yeah. Um, well, I, I was, uh, formally trained at uh, Delhi College of Technology in upstate New York. I'm, I'm actually originally from that area, like Buffalo, Rochester. And that was kind of a far move for me, coming from a small town with more cows than people. Um, <laughs> Springville, New York is like where I was originally from, but um, the Catskills, I just, I loved it. And being a, a, what I thought was like, oh, I'm creative. I'm going to do something with my hands. Uh, and a lot of my family were laborers, so I thought, I have to do something with that. Um, so I fell in love with the mountains and the seasons of the fall and thought, all right, you know, cooking school, I mean, I can do that. 
And I'm not going to lie that I thought like, oh, I'm going to be a chef. I wasn't sure. I thought, let me see if I like this. Let me see if it fits me. Um, I competed a lot uh, through the American Culinary Federation, like when I was in college there for a four-year hospitality degree program. And um, I thought no matter what I did, I would say even before cooking or doing anything, I just did everything to the fullest and degree. Like, let me see, like, if I do this, like, what's the farthest extent you could go doing this? And that happened to be at that time competing. And I wanted to travel internationally. I grew up, you know, farm country. I don't have money. <laughs> so I barely could afford to go to school. Um, don't thank for it. But um, Tell me about I thought, it. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? I have a lot of us are still paying for this education. Um, yeah, and I just thought, like, oh, gosh, if I if I do this, like, you can compete, and I'm going to practice my skills more, and I'm going to stay after class, which I did. Like, I wanted to hold the knife as much as possible, and in those times, it was hard for me to, to get a job working on the line. So, like, you know, being female, they'll put you on pantry, garmage, you know, the typical things. And I, it was the only place I found, like, a real shot of, like, here, no, here's some drills. Use your knife. I want you to, you know, cut this into, like, perfect quarter-inch or eighth of an inch dice, you know. And I wanted that. Um, I had uh, roommates at the time that were from uh, – you know, Vietnam and, and Japan, like they were holding knives since they were little. And I was just like, I just got my start. I'm like, man, I have a lot of catching up to do, you know. Um, I'm a very driven person in general. And I, I ended up becoming the captain of the culinary team at that time and competed making like courses, dishes. Um, and I, I didn't spend my typical college years just like partying and like hanging out and doing stuff. I'm like, I want to, if you win, you get to go to like Sweden and France and, you know, all these amazing places in Germany. And again, coming from a small town where like we grew our own food products, like all I saw was like the neighbors. And, <laughs> you know, there wasn't really any kind of like diversity. It was like, you know, you lived here all your life. Um, yeah, and I, I really wanted to see the world, really, really. Um, and this was my opportunity to do that. Um, I ended up meeting my husband while we were competing because I was the captain of my culinary team, and he was the captain of his. He's a chef as well. Okay. And, um, you know, he always says that we met in Vegas because that's where we ended up competing one year. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and I, I lost my opportunity to travel because I spent, geez, four years trying to do that. I thought, oh, my gosh, my life's over, you know, at that time. You think, like, what am I going to do next, you know? So, wait, why um, did you lose your opportunity to travel? Was it because you got married? Yeah. Well, no, because we, ended up, um, at that time in college, we, uh, his his team, another team, and a team from New York. So, it's Pennsylvania, New York, and I forgot what the third team was, if it was, like, Michigan or something. Um, they ended up getting the opportunity to go to you know, Germany and all of this. And it was the Pennsylvania team that won. They picked that team. And I met my husband at a country club three months later because, which is so ironic, that um, I got called saying they remember myself and my Vietnam Vietnamese roommate who's like, oh, we remember you. Come to uh, Westchester Country Club. Like, I want you to sign up for this apprenticeship. And I was like... I got nothing else better to do. Maybe this is my chance. Well, to find out that the team that I competed against was actually practicing at that country club, I didn't really realize that. 
And so the captain of that team, who is now my husband, was there. And I was like, this guy's an asshole. Like, he's so pissed off. And so I was like, he's got my shot. He's got, you know, I'm so bitter. So bitter. And I saw him. We met. We had a meeting in the cold room, like, to make sausages and all this stuff. Because it was right before my boss's um, office. Uh, who was a master chef, Chef Edward Leonard, and um, in Rye, New York. I'm like, what am I doing here? I, I can't believe this. And if this guy's going to be jerked, I'm just going to be so mad. And he was like, just the nicest guy and really welcoming, the complete opposite of everyone I knew. And, you know, now it's like amazing. Like I missed out on an opportunity to travel, but then I, I got to, you know, find my mate. And um, I, I'm so happy with the life we've had, but it's been a life of, of sacrifice. You know, so we, what was this we, like? Uh, you're still a young woman. Uh, how long? Mm-hmm. How far back are we going? Uh, where, when was this happening? What year was it? Oh, I'd probably say twenty two thousand and four. Okay, around there, I'd probably say. Okay, cool. Uh, so uh, you were competing. Yeah. You you got out of the the competition uh, circuit. Uh, and did yeah. you and your husband go into business together, or what happened next? Yeah, we did. We did go into business together. Hold on, you might hear my son is on a mission. Oh, that's right. You can say hi if you want <laughs> to. This is a reality podcast. Things happen. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a son together, so that's another thing. Uh, but yeah, we I got out of the back circuit and ended up um, training more for two years at that country club, which was living in the United States at the time. Um, we, we did leave that opportunity to start a catering business together because my husband's been in the food business all his life since he was little family had a, a restaurant business called Campbell house in media. And he, you know, I just always knew like his whole family, his dad, you know, was always into food, the whole family. Um, so, and I had nothing holding me down. So we, I decided to come here in Philadelphia and I love it. I absolutely love it. But food has always been a part of like how we met, how I, how I've known things. It's always been a part of our life. Um, and yeah, being a chef was always something like, I thought like, Oh, I'm going to be a master chef. I'm going to be the chef of a place. And that's always just never worked out for me. Um, Why do you think it didn't work out? Um, I feel like because I wanted something different, you know, I, I witnessed so many people in those roles and just thought, oh, it's not, that's not what I want to do. I think I could do more than that. Yeah. And so I think at that point, I would constantly ask friends, do you have to be good in only one thing? You know, uh, what, what do you think? You know, because the constant question in the industry, even if you're not in it, is like, what's your specialty? Mm. You know, um, I could never answer that question. I'd be like, oh, I can dabble in a lot of things, which I can. I could do pastry. I could do charcuterie. I could work in banquets. I could work in a la carte. My, my role in every place I've ever worked was tournant. I, I could, wherever you put me, I could fill in. And I felt like that was always my utilization strength at every facility because I could talk to anybody. I could work with anybody. I never caused problems. I'd always volunteer to do more stuff. But it was never like, God, oh, Maria, she's really good at this. Mm. I, I would never hear that. Yeah, that's so I for mean, me. It, that is cool to have ahead. that uh, 
to be the utility player, to be that that person on the team that can play any role, uh, you can fill those. I mean, it's it's a good to have that person on your team. But I get what you're saying. A lot of people, and I believe this personally, uh, you sh- if you really want to be successful in this industry, you're better off focusing on one thing and doing it really well and focusing on that being your vertical and just owning that skill, that talent. Uh, it's like that quote, uh, you know, I, Bruce Lee said, I don't fear the man that knows 10,000 kicks. I fear the man who has practiced the same kick 10,000 times. Right. Um, yeah. and I can, I, I sympathize with you or I guess I empathize with you, uh, with that situation of not knowing what your lane is. That must be really frustrating. Yes. And I think, that always happened because I ended up also teaching at the Art Institute of Philadelphia and I was always like the fill in or I could take on any class. I was always known for that. Um, oh, here, here's a new project we need you to figure this out. And I think eventually I started owning the fact that like, you know what, I'm just adaptable and I, I can do lots of things and that's okay. You know, like it's a, I think for me it was like giving myself permission to be like, okay with that because, who knows, maybe it's the ADD or whatever else. I'm like, I just like doing lots of things, you know? But I, I've i always, I think for a while, I, I could say for a block of a few years, it was that internal voice that really would shake myself up to being like, well, you can't answer that question. So then what are you good at? Mm. You know, what is your thing? And so then I started asking friends or people who didn't, you know, um, know me or to say like what I wanted to hear, um, I would always hear the same thing. Like I'm adaptable. You can change, you can, you can adapt to anything. Like you're always good at talking with people. You're this and that. And I thought, well, how can, how can I be good at that and still be in the food industry? You know, um, I had been told a criticism at once that I, I give too much away, give too much away of myself or the opportunities. And I always wanted to share them. I always wanted to involve people. I don't feel that, you know, that in this world, if I learn something, then I just keep it for myself. An important value I carry. If I, if I practice this so much and it becomes my knowledge, and I'm a master of this. Like for me, that's not a, it's not a priority value. You know, I'd rather be with people and share in that and let give something to somebody and go, wow. And then, and then watch it. And that's why being a teacher was such a incredible role for me. It challenged me personally. It helped me, um, rethink something like not the way I way somebody else is going to catch on to that. I, I always enjoyed that piece of it, but it, I feel like cooks who care was the first thing that really fit with that personality type of being adaptable and sharing things like that's all we do um every activity every thing that we plan things i personally struggle with things i've heard other people struggle with it's not for me you know it's 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 of no benefit to me to just keep it in my head and not share it with anybody and just receive accolades yeah there's a couple things i pulled from your story up to this point that i want to touch on uh first you were talking about you're always hearing people saying uh, that you are adaptable. It's one of those things that just kept coming up and coming up. And uh, the reason why I want to point this out is because I think success leaves clues, right? We're always trying to find out where, what's our lane? Where do we belong? Really pay attention to what people are saying to you. Uh, they will tell you where you belong. If you are receptive to what people are saying, they'll, they'll point out your strengths, uh, but you have to be listening for them. And then once you figure those strengths out, like how does this strength, how can I apply this strength? How can I find a vertical to leverage my it factor? This, this thing that people keep on saying about me. Um, and for you, 
uh, you know, the other part of that too was, you know, you give away too much. You're, you're adaptable and you give away how, where, where, where can I serve, you know, to, where I can mm-hmm. leverage these drinks. Uh, and I mean, that's so cool. The other thing I want to take out of what you shared too is, uh, you give too much away. Uh, the mindset of abundance is what I want to talk about. I, I don't think you can give too yeah. much away personally. Uh, the more you give, the mm-hmm. more you get, you know, that you, you have mm-hmm. to have that mindset of abundance. So what do you think of what I just shared? Oh, I think it's beautiful because yeah, I, I, every time I heard those statements, I would disagree. And, you know, I, I agree with that. What you give, it grows and it continues and it spreads. And that person does something like we had a, um, an individual that we're very big on diversity and making sure we include everyone. And it doesn't matter your job title. It doesn't matter. I have one story of a person who, you know, um, lost, I should say the business ended you know, um, he found a way to be a community builder. And that's what he was doing. He had no name, no title, no business, no nothing. It was just something he was passionate about. He wanted to include minorities and people to get new opportunities for that. I want, I want to help them start networking. I want to help their businesses and do this. And he was in a whole transition. I invited him to one learning session where he sat at the table. He invited somebody else. And literally, we had a conversation probably after that happened, because we usually do this uh, communal thing, like they sit and they learn for 45 minutes, and after they network and they talk with a very small group of like less than 15 people. You really get this like connection point of like talking to the last four people you had a conversation. You remember it. You don't forget it. You know, and he said to me, he's like, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm so appreciative that you included me. And then the next time I talked to him, he was like, I'm not sure. I have an idea, but I'm just, I'm not sure what it is yet. I need to keep thinking about it. I need to talk to you again. Probably a couple of weeks later, you know, we ended up talking. He's like, I was so inspired by the, our last meeting and like talking about things that we don't normally get to talk about, which was at that one, it was fair wage. Um, talking about issues on, you know, getting paid, you know, a value, et cetera. Um, and now he, the thing that baffled me, I think, was not that he said he was inspired. It's what he did with the inspiration. He said, I don't even remember it. He was just like, oh, you said something about, like, connecting with people and, like, reaching out and, like, asking for things that you want. And so he reached out to a friend of his who's in the food business about doing um, an, an incarceration um, awareness dinner about this topic and he's like you know what I asked him if he would want to host a fundraiser dinner and he said yes <laughs> and, and he's like he goes, I'm, I'm very passionate about this issue you know I had uncles and people in my family that were affected by this and I just don't want any anyone to misunderstand this and bring this awareness to the issue and he goes your event and I'm thinking that, that's amazing yeah like, well, how did you get that like out of what we just talked about? All I said was just ask somebody something that you're passionate about. And that was for him, you know, his passion. And it started with one yes. Yeah. So, and now it's turning action. He's doing performing and it's actually happening in January um, 13th, I believe um, at, at a restaurant. And he's like making social media posts and doing all that stuff. Like that's what I love. Mm. It's like somebody's going, I was a part of one thing and that give and get, like how it grows the abundance thing you're, you're touching on. That's what I feel like 
wow, like the universe just got, Oh man, you know, it's so powerful too. And the other thing I just want to make sure uh, we emphasize what you just shared with us is that the importance of putting it out there, you know, if you want something, if you, if you aspire for something, put it out there, let it be known. Uh, if you, if you put it out into the universe, like, like people will come to serve you, but if you just keep it inside and bottled up and you never act on those emotions, those thoughts, you never put it out there. You're not going to create an opportunity for yourself to have somebody come help you and to get you to that level. It's so powerful. Um, you there? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I don't uh, want to interrupt you. No. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, okay, this is great. Uh, I wasn't expecting to get this much of your backstory, and I'm, I'm happy that we are diving deeper into who you are and uh, the you know what has made you who you are. Uh, but when let's talk about this the vision for Cooks Who Care. When did you mm-hmm. first have the idea for that? Well, it actually started as something totally different. I was doing a fundraiser um, called Clear Art and Food, which was getting a bunch of chefs together that weren't always in the spotlight um, to bring awareness to like creativity and involve a nonprofit that the money would benefit. Now, I, I'm not an event planner. I don't do it for a living. I mean, now I do. But at that time, it was like, oh, we're just going to include like people from different countries, people who don't get as much attention, um, and we'll feature like a couple people just to kind of like get the ball rolling. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. None. And people, I couldn't believe the meetings I was sitting in and just the energy of just like, you know what? The first no I get, I'll stop. And it's kind of like <laughs> how I treated it. And I told Patrick, if I keep getting no's, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to do this. But I kept getting yeses and like, sure, we'll do it. We'll sign up and we'll we'll participate in this event. And it was at a very prominent uh, catering hall um, that was willing to work with me on a price. And I, and I got 13 chefs that year to participate. We had, we had raised a ton of money, but I was still very surprised at the first year of like, wow, I, I can't believe we hit this off. And every time I would host an event that was community-driven, like it would help a nonprofit, um, people would ask me, when's the next one? When's the next event? And we called the event that happened after the fundraiser, after Philly Art and Food. You actually, the chefs that participated or, or volunteers, they had a lot of food people volunteer as well, um, got to go to the community center that it was benefiting. So that year it went to um, an organization called Art Pure Inc., which was our first organization we assisted, and they were packaging art supply boxes so that you didn't have to just, you know, build into the community crayon bin and share supplies. You've got your own box, your own scissors, your own stuff. You can be as creative as you want, and we were trying to, to provide creative outlets that were positive to people um, that lived in not-so-great neighborhoods. Okay. So um, the chefs, instead of just doing the event, which was my big thing, I don't want you to just do the event. I want you to see the kids and I want you to, to package up the boxes that you helped raise money for. So you could see where the money was going. And we called that day a Cooks Who Care Day. It was just like a day that you participated in and you got to see the efforts of your energy went somewhere and it's real and it happened to real people who benefited from something you put energy into. 
And that's always my big thing is the energy you put in. You get to visualize and see the energy that gets put out, not be disconnected from it. And then after that, I just kept being like, Maria, when's the next one? I'm like, oh, my God, this took like, months. And I, don't, I didn't have a board. I didn't have any. It was me and one other person, you know, trying to organize stuff um, and a couple of volunteers. Well, that was it. So it all started um, from just wanting to create uh, community-driven opportunities to uh, basically uh, allow cooks and other hospitality professionals to serve their communities. Yes. And the amazing thing from that day was I had a Thai restaurant, a bar, like a, bub, a pub kind of bar. Um, there was a, a hotel, a very nice high-end hotel. There was um, a fine dining restaurant that when what I saw was is when they were packaging up these supplies, I'm like, these people would never ordinarily hang out with each other, but they're here because of this central purpose. And I thought, how can I create more of that in the experiences where more people from across town, like in Philly, people across town don't really talk to each other. It's usually your street, your neighborhood, mm-hmm. your immediate neighbors. Like we're very geocentric here in Philly. And the goal for Cooks Who Care was to kind of open up those kind of, you know, street barriers. Like, no, you could, you could talk to this other person. And now you have a connection with a restaurant that's on a total opposite side of the city. Um, and, and I saw that when people were doing something totally not related to cooking. They were standing next to each other, handing a box to someone or packaging up, oh, can you hand me those crayons? And the smiles that people were doing this unified experience was that to me is where Cooks Who Care started. Wait, it say that like, last line wow. again. Say that last line again. I want to make sure I got it. Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm always good with one-liners. They always call me one because I just all the time. Um, but it was just that experience of, I don't know, of, of doing those things together where, you know, it was this unified uh, experience of, of sharing and not, not doing food where people felt like, oh, I'm doing this and I made a friend. I, I've, I've connected with this person and they would talk to each other beyond that day, which is something I would encourage. And, and that's something that we really said, like, well, now you're a cook who cares, you know, you don't have to, it was servers, it was bartenders. It wasn't really like, oh, you're just chefs. We just happen to be cooks who care. So like when, we are cooks when you we were, care. When you were creating these events, was each event focused or surrounded by one centralized purpose? And did you have multiple centralized purposes? Yes. So it you- started at first with just being with nonprofit work and then it bridged to, okay, well, People are really struggling. <laughs> well, once we did more, I'm like, these people are struggling um, to just get out, to just meet people. When you say and these people, are you talking about other chefs, other cooks? Other chefs, people in the business, um, you know, people in the hospitality industry. And then so we spent a year dialing into what would be the right event that wouldn't take nearly as much time um, and would, only, would make yeses easier. Right. Wait, make so yeses I was easier? Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. yep, make yeses easier. So if I'm asking you to participate in an event, I know the many reasons of why you would say no. And it's not because you don't want to do it. It's because of the physical constraints you have with your job and balancing your life. And so 
when we would say like, oh, well, we want more people to join, we're like, oh, we want a bench with like 20 people. Well, that It didn't matter how many people came. It just mattered that you stepped out. And that the feeling you got was what the output for us was the feeling you got when you left, you were like, wow, that was really valuable. And I feel great. I can go back to work or I can go back and do my thing, my life, maybe go to the store, whatever. We really wanted people to connect more because that's the piece that's missing, right? Everyone would tell me why, why they're in the business and what they're doing and why they're doing it. Oh, it's for the gratification. I, I make all those foods. I make a customer happy and I put that food out the window. and It's so satisfying. What if you work in a place that it doesn't feel that way? Right? Like nobody acknowledges your work. No one gives you that instant self gratification. Mm. And all the energy you spend, this is what I think about all the time, all the energy you spend to put out that plate for that diner, like it doesn't seem like it fits the puzzle piece. You're missing a, a complete other side. The ratio at which people spend their energy, what is it? You know, most people on average spend a third of their lives at work. In the food industry, what's the ratio? It's probably like 95% of yeah. your time is spent at work. You know, so I always ask people, what's, what's your ratio? Like, what do you think What do you think it is? Is it 90-10? Is it 95-5? If so, like, maybe, hey, try just getting to 90-10. Like, don't go like, oh, work-life balance. That's hard. That's 50-50. I, I think that ratio is too hard to convert from something that's way, way high on the other side. So... We, I was my, myself, um, my husband, uh, a pastry chef partner of ours, uh, a bunch of people in the food business literally one night sat down with a piece of paper and said, all right, if we're going to host events all year long, what, what are all the reasons someone would say no? And we filled a piece of paper with big circle and wrote down like all the things that people would say no to either improving their work lifestyle or improving themselves as a leader which were the two things that we said we wanted to focus on. And uh, once we got through all of those, we spent an entire year testing out how to eliminate the no's. No, I cannot. So one was um, on the top five of things that we said was guilt. People feel guilty saying no. <laughs> so that was something we worked on really hard. Is like, I don't want you to feel guilty telling me you can't do something. Yeah. I know you want to do it. But then you feel bad about not doing it because, A, you're working so much and like, you haven't spent any time with your family and you haven't done this and that. And we're like, well, what if there was a way that we could help them spend time with their family or people they care about and include them in this, you know, so that they're not choosing between one or the other. They're just involving them. Mm. And then that was like how we started like going through the list. Well, then events were designed around those opportunities. Like you could invite your girlfriend, you could invite your partner, you could... You know, we're working on things this year that you could bring your kids. You know, we, we had a... Um, okay, let me, I want to make sure owner. I get this because uh, I want to make sure I, I had the full picture. So you're, you're highlighting the no's and then you're using those no's and you're incorporating the no's into the event so that uh, those couldn't be reasons not to come. So uh, you would have events with uh, about or surrounding your children or like, I mean, is that or I don't know, kind of mumbling yeah. in just stuttering at this point um <laughs> is so you were just trying to incorporate the nose so that those nose couldn't be keeping people from uh i guess you're you're limiting the uh hoops people had to jump through to, be able yeah. to come to the event 
cool. And we finally dialed into certain specific ones. Like there's a great, we finally got it. I mean, it took us a year to, to do testing and I've had great operators who said yes, you know, to like, Hey, Maria, sure. To a point where now they're like, Maria, if you would have told me to do anything, I would just do it. You know? Yeah. And I, I was surprised by that because, you know, it's, it's a lot of thought that goes into it before I ask someone, I want it to be what we always say, a win, win, win. You know, it's a win for the person that's involved. It's a win for us and our energy that it takes to do it because it takes a lot of energy and a lot of thinking. And it's a win for the person that attends that's saying, you know what, I'm going to spend my time with folks who care right now. Mm-hmm. And we feel honored when any, when all of those are in alignment because it means like, wow, we really, we really got this respect for everyone's time. Yeah. So and, these, uh, that, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. No, that's the equation that we always strive for with everything. So was each uh, event a new centralized purpose that focused on eliminating a no? Yes. Okay. So give me an example <clears throat> yeah. of what a centralized purpose was. So a centralized purpose could be just like meeting new people, you know, and that's something we worked hard on. How do we get people to cross their area and meet somebody that they don't know? You know, I'm so proud of this because we had a shop owner, um, which we've tested a couple times and it really worked an industry night. I've been to tons of industry nights, you know, and they're like about drinking, about going to a bar and actually no one in the industry is actually there. So, um, I've spent sitter money on trying to go to these things. And I'm like, this was a waste of mm-hmm. my time. I'd text my friends who didn't come. And I'm like, glad you didn't come tonight because this was a total waste of time. <laughs> Thank you for telling me, you know, because it was a shit show, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. And so I went to a few of those, but this shop owner that we tested actually just recently and finished complete and go, this works. We have two hour block of time. We call them hangouts. We have a shop owner open up their spot between 4 and 6 p.m. Timing is critical. It's between service. So the no's would have been, I can't come because I'm working. I can't do this because of it. But there is downtime between 4 and 6 p.m. that you could take a break and finish. Or if you had the day off, it'd be the perfect time for you to still go and do something else. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not taking away from any activity that you would have to do during what we call prime time. Right. So from 4 to 6 p.m., we know the operator is slower or they're closing near that time. And this bakery, uh, Tova's, um, she has a, a bake shop, a Jewish bake shop that was closing around 5. So it was actually perfect. So she stayed open an extra hour. We had chefs say at first, and people in the industry, it could be anybody, I go, you're invited to this opportunity. It's 100% free. It doesn't cost anything. You know, I just want you to come and you can come for 15 minutes is what I always tell people. It's just stop in and shake hands with people. Now, I had done these a few times and I probably only had like a handful of people come, you know, or people that would stop by and commit. And this particular one, which happened to be on my birthday, which was crazy, um, we handed out quotes to people, which was super cool. My son did this because it was a kid's, kid-friendly event, so I could invite my five-year-old, which was amazing. He handed out quotes. And we had a, a revolving door of 25 people that stopped in for, like, between service or on their day off, cross town, some of you from Delaware. Like, I couldn't believe the, the thought process and how we've tweaked it over the several that we've hosted to being like, this is it. We just finally completed. 
Uh, you broke up. You said this is it. We finally completed. Uh, what were you saying? I, I didn't catch that. No, sure. I'm sorry for breaking up. That's though. okay. Um, <laughs> we finally completed it. We finally dialed into what is the right environment to recreate again and again and again. Um, I had people go to me six times, and on the seventh time, they said yes. I had people you know, who were former students of mine, like several years ago, to be like, I saw all your stuff and like, I wanted to come because this is super easy for me. Uh, where are you coming from? Oh, I'm cross town. I'm in North Philly and like South Philly. Like people don't do that. And that's exactly what we were trying to accomplish. And it, that was the witnessing part for me to go, oh, got it. Like we finally get and understand and have a platform for people to do exactly what we wanted them to do, which was try something new, get over their fear of meeting people and make it super comfortable. This particular shop owner, she's very popular, was nominated for a James Beard Award. Um, people read about her all the time. But people would always say to me, I've never actually met her. Mm. And so we made it around that purpose with meeting her she got to shake hands with her and she had her child there, you know, it's like she didn't have to be separate from it. It's a family business for her. And I had other families, um, another pastry chef and his wife bring their two children. You know, it was like, you didn't, we were just all on the same space shaking hands. My thing is I never want people to feel uncomfortable. So we videotape everything. That's our, our biggest core. Every single thing has to be videotaped. Mm -hmm. But I, I introduced, them to someone here I want you to meet this person and I do all the introductions so that nobody has to feel like oh, I'm standing in the corner if I see people standing in the corner I'll find something for them to do you know because I really understand and this is where the adaptability piece always like that's a strength for me I can help people who struggle with talking to people or people that are really great at talking to people finding the right key connection because my job is I don't feel successful if people walk away from an event that we host and they're like, well, that was a waste of my time. Ah, I never want anyone to say that ever. Awesome. Um, uh, so this yeah, is great. Cool. This is awesome. I have a couple of questions for you, but I can't forget to take a break to thank our sponsors. So we'll be right back after we thank our sponsors. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. 
All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. All right, we're back and you just shared some awesome stuff with us. Uh, the things that are really have me interested or the things I want to point out is just the importance of connecting people. Uh, so let me ask you this. Why is it so important to connect people? Oh, such a great question. I feel lots of people miss opportunities because they stay by themselves. And it's not because they want to, it's because they don't know how. And then there's that list of like, well, another one on the list is fear, right? Fear of asking for help, fear of doing something I'm not familiar with, fear of humility, to be, I'm really struggling with this and I need your help. And I have to admit to you that I don't know how, right? And so we and myself understand that very much because um, it's not that people don't want to do it. It's not that there's a lack of desire. It's that if I said, hey, you know, you really should try this. I'm going to go back to work. They're going to get stuck in the grind. They're going to be working many, many hours. They're going to go home. They're going to try to relax. going to totally forget about it. And they're not going to do it because of all the things I just said. You know, that's the thing that really baffles me is that there's so many missed opportunities because of fear. So, you know, I feel like we're successful when we can help people overcome all of those barriers. Mm. And whether it takes me several times to like get through to one person that's fine because what is the outcome after that? They actually found a new way to do something different or maybe they've reframed it or I helped make it a little bit easier for them to get to the other side of where they want. What's that quote is like every single thing you want is on the other side of fear. Mm, every single thing. Right? Yeah. So if we are that bridge to connecting people in that way, like, gosh, the, the amazing things that could really happen. Yeah. I mean, we know, you know, we know the, we know the failure rates of restaurants. We know all the data, we know all the numbers, but I was always interested in the, in the qualitative stuff that doesn't get recorded. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to go get my MBA at um, <clears throat> St. Joseph's university because a couple of other chefs were going and they were like, oh, I'm going to do the MS track, um, master in science. And when that experience opened up like a whole new world of like corporate kind of facilities and like rich like, people that I would have 
just my gosh, my my head exploded every single time I'd sit next to people from like Coca Cola, <laughs> Dan and Yogurt, and all this stuff. I'm like, what is this? I mean, I never knew anything about it, and just seeing people and hearing them and being like a sponge for knowledge. Like, I don't care what facet you're in, you know. I, I get tired of all the clicky kind of information that people share like oh where are you working oh you work here well i only talk to people that that do this that's bull crap you know it's because of your comfort level you don't feel like talking to people outside of that because you're afraid to talk to people that may or may not be like you you know um that was something that we really strive for is this there's a generational gap you know there's cultural issues that are happening in our society today. There's diversity issues. And it's kind of like, we don't, we're not going to be like, oh, this is what we're talking about. We're going to talk about gender diversity today, everybody. And everyone's like, ah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just like, no, we just want you to, like, we drop the guard and we never make it like an attacking thing. It just happens to be you're in the same space and you just think about things in a different way. And I just, I love that. Yeah. I love that. You know, I'm, I, I asked this question because I was curious about what your the question originally was. Uh, why is connecting so important? Because uh, I was curious as to what it was that was driving you to connect people. And I think those the reasons you listed just because uh, it breaks down fear, right? It helps us understand each other. And there is a lot wrong with society, in my opinion, today. I feel like we we have some. I think we're kind of getting out of it. But for a while, for maybe twenty years, uh, you know, the eighties through like the like the nineties into like the the early two thousands, we were very guarded. I feel like we kind of went from being commutative to uh, standing on our own, uh, me versus you. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know. If maybe if I'm the only person that was kind of picking up on that, like when I first started the podcast, I was very afraid to approach people to ask them to be guests on the show because in my mind, I'm like, what's, why is this person going to feel like they need to tell me all their secrets and what they learned about success? I mean, those are their secrets. Why would they give that out? Um, but it's so important to connect people and to realize that it's not about you. It's not even about me. It's about us. It's about we collectively as an industry, as a community, as a, a neighborhood, like we, we need to share knowledge. We need to know each other. We need to be there for each other. Uh, and it's none of this, no more just like me versus you, but like you'll notice the most successful people in this industry are the people who collaborate, who buy from each other, who support each other, who do, you know, who, who learn from each other, who mastermind together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much more yeah. to be gained when we work together and we connect each other and, and we, we know each other and we love each other. There's so much power in that. Uh, I love it. Yeah, right. yeah, I completely agree. So, where you you went from uh, just focusing on connecting, and uh, I think like that that ability, just just the 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 connection alone was the service. But it seems like now um, you're you're moved away from the events, and you're going to a multimedia platform where you're uh, uh, capturing these stories, these uh, these pieces of advice. How did you make that transition and when did this transition start to happen and, and how, were, how did you go from connecting to uh, creating platforms for cooks to serve and to share knowledge? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turned out because we had no money to do what we wanted to do. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's like, well, we don't have any money, so how do we do this? And literally, I had a conversation with my husband. I'm like, if we want people to do this, they need to see it for themselves. And so if we want people, if we want people to open up, we need to share like you, other people setting an example, you know, we really believe 
in that leading piece that if you witnessed and heard other people going through similar issues or similar struggles or, you know, sharing this piece of humility that you would identify someone and you would change your behavior. You may think like, wow, I thought I was the only one. And so we said, oh, um, all right, so we're going to really, we're going to videotape these interviews. We're going to talk to people. We're going to get them to agree. And my thing was always like, I don't want the fluff. I don't want the, the things that you say in the PR press stuff. I want the stuff that's really relating to who our audience actually is. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to say the things that you want to say to promote your business. Of course, I want you to do that, but we're going to do it in a way that you're going to, you're going to have to get emotional with mm. us. And so that was a piece that I always said, but we send interview questions in advance. I let people preview them. There is no guessing because I feel like you get surprised sometimes, just when you're getting emotional, like you don't want to start right off the gate with the most emotional thing that like bothers you. You're going to, you're going to work yourself like into it. And so we videotaped and my husband, if we're going to do one a week, like, how are we going to execute that? And, like, now we need to do 46 interviews. And so, like, it wasn't um, really well thought out on that one. It was the fact we were motivated by what could we do tomorrow um, and not having the funds and the financing that we know we need, you know, to really get this off the ground. And so we invested our money in some equipment. Um, and decided that, well, we know people, let's, let's get people together. We know want to talk about this stuff and then we'll see what happens from there. And it was the best decision we could have made. Mm. So what's, what's happening today? What's your mission today? And what do you see, uh, for the future of cooks who care? Yes, we, we see two things. I mean, it's like my mission today is to get people together. I, I so far have about 46 events in the queue between now and June around different things, whether it's healthy activities or what we call open house hangouts, which are the ones I talked to you before about just an operator staying open between service hours to just hang out. Um, and actually activities like sailing and hiking, and they're usually led by people in the industry and the food business that have learned how to break away from working you know, 80, 90 hours a week or whatever their ratio is, and they changed it. And so that was something critical for us, too, um, was to help be this, like, lead, you know, lead the pack here. Like, let's show other people who struggle with it because we think that the success outcome will be higher if they can relate to one another. Mm. So we have lots of events. Uh, for next year, you know, we're hoping that next year will help us dial in a plan of like, how can we get other cities to build this sense of community and find people in the way that we found people. Um, and it all starts by asking. I mean, what's the, the worst thing that someone could say is no. I have, I've heard that my whole life. The worst thing somebody could say is no. What's the worst yeah. thing they can say? No. You know, so, um, and if it, if it is no, then it's like finding the right things, but we very often don't hear no. We collaborate. We say, what's going to help this yeah, yes, what's that win-win-win? So that's what we're trying for this year is building more of those opportunities and panel discussions, being a little bit more dynamic in the topics that we, that we do and the engagement. That now that we've dialed into getting it, we just want to do more. Let's just do more. Um, and in the future, it's, it's also finding the space of sharing knowledge 
you know, between not just the live connection, but the fact of like, how are you updating yourself? How are you being the leader you want to be? How are you learning how to not just cook, but to think like with a business mind, but make it approachable where you don't need a business degree to do it. You know, you, you can learn all of these things. There's plenty of operators who never went to business school to learn the things that they know. And they don't have the big debt bill that most of us have, yeah. you know, with school. And it's just about sharing that information. Mm. What's inside your head needs to come out. And so we make it super easy where, like, um, if I'm interviewing somebody on our Beyond the Table for Cooks Appear on YouTube, we are turning that into... Um, okay, here's the five tips that they said. And we're putting it on a downloadable form and we're asking probing questions to maybe bring back to your meeting. They like, because some people, we know learning style, you know, some people could watch a video and not have anything tangible beyond that. Oh, it was a great thing I watched, but I don't really remember a lot of the stuff. Mm. You know, we want to have other people, more community stuff where people in the community are sharing more on that topic and then they, they keep adding on to it. So I really see Cooks Who Care as being like an open source of information that people, you know, bridge the gap. There's a generational gap. Like, don't keep all the knowledge to yourself. Yes. Share it with people who care and... And, and we're, we're going to turn that into I'm so happy you just said that because I had written down a quote before we started and I wanted to share it. I was finding, I was looking for the, the perfect moment to share this quote, this, this idea. And I think now is the time. Uh, and I was watching this documentary. Um, it was the uh, documentary that, uh, oh man, what the heck's his name? Rick Bayless recently put out uh, on sustainability. Uh, the name of the documentary is escaping my mind, but there was a gentleman they were interviewing in that documentary. And he said something along the lines of, uh, we all owe a debt to those who came before us. Everything that we are today, everything that we've become, everything we know came off the blood, sweat and tears, like the, the work of other people, our ancestors, and that we can't pay that debt back to them. They're not around anymore. So who do we pay the debt to? We pay it to the future by taking everything that they we, that they they figured out for us, our ancestors, our past, and compounding off that and paying it forward to the future. The beautiful thing about today is we have the tools, the resources, the technology to compound that that information so fast. It can be so powerful. We can make such a big difference if we choose to work together to share knowledge and think with a us mentality. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And mm-hmm. uh, you get it. We're cut from the same cloth. I think we're like we, we're here trying to do the same thing, and I love it. Uh, and I'm curious. Before we wrap things up, I want to find out uh, what are the. You mentioned you, you recorded all of these these lessons, right? These things, uh, the, the the takeaways. What are the the, the three biggest takeaways um, that you see happening? You've done 53 of these now. What are the biggest takeaways you're seeing uh, that you can share with my audience today? Wow. Um, I would say that people, the common theme that we are seeing, there's two that come to the top of my mind. And one is you're not alone. A lot of people think that they're the only ones going through that issue. They're the only ones that are struggling with that. And I can't tell you, I can't count how many times I've heard that phrase back from something they've experienced with us. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was alone. And I think of any common theme, everything, which I find interesting that people keep saying again and again that they've identified with something like that. 
Um, and it's, I think it's just the fact of being humble, right? Being able to just share those experiences, which may feel humiliating, but it's showing your humility. Mm. And I think that that's people need to see more that you're not leaving yourself so vulnerable that there's nothing left to do after that. There's so much to do after you share an experience that is leaving you feel by yourself. And I think that that's a takeaway for sure that people have, have seen. And I've gotten lots of emails on um, that they've identified with a certain video or a certain conversation. And then they open up about it. And that's really what it's about. It's like, okay, oh, once I kind of clear the air, I can now do something about it. Mm-hmm. So know? that number um, one was you're not alone and, uh, you know, embrace humility. Be, don't be afraid. Yeah to be human and to open up. What about number two? What's the second big lesson you've taken away? I know I had to think about that because I had it. Um, I would say that um, that's a biggie. We're talking about the videos and having like, what is the biggest one? And I had it and I totally lost it. Um, right. We can, it's, we got technology. We can sew this up later. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, good. <laughs> Um, I, I would think that, and it's only what I was thinking before, but, um, I think that it's about, uh, change. Um, everyone we've talked to is talking about something that's going to be different than it was before. And, um, that's what, oh no, I remembered it now. What's that for? Just one more. I will. One more minute. Hold on one <laughs> second. Tell him we're, we're thankful for his patience. Okay. All right. So now I, and now I remember it. The other one was living your life because people have learned that it took them 15 years to realize that they have nothing after they've worked for something and they made it their entire life. And so people were saying at the end of interviews, and sometimes we didn't always disclose all of it. It was that they, they look back and they go, I lost my friends. I lost my connection with my family. I've spent my career developing what I thought was to the nth degree. And when I was done with it and I finished everything, I look back and I say, what was it all for? I'm sitting at home watching Netflix by myself with no one to call. And I want to do something else. And I have no one. Right. So I think that was something that a lot of people had shared with us was, you know, this, this connection, I think it really comes back to that. And, and we try to say that it could be a solution that you could start tomorrow. So I've heard that from so many people. And it's not that I think that people really love what they do. They would not do what they do. They didn't love it to that degree, but it's how much of that time are you spreading around to sprinkle to let other seeds grow? You know, is it your love for someone? Is it your your compassion for your family? Was it a sick family member? Because we all know that, like, you can't take a day off in this business. You miss your friends' weddings. You can't go to funerals. You miss, you know, your your elders um, celebrating life marking memories of like 50th anniversaries, and you missed all of it. Mm. And then you don't get a chance to look back and go, "Could I have done that differently?" Could I have spread it around a little bit more? And I'm not saying get to the 50-50 ratio. You know, I think everyone says, like, just 
try something like a little bit different and start something that's achievable. Yeah. You don't feel, I want, you know, I, oh, I, I can't do that. I want to reflect on that because I've learned a lot talking to, you know, over 400 guests now on the show uh, about the idea of work-life balance. And what I'm coming to realize is that and you can agree or disagree. I would love to get your feedback. But it's less of a work-life balance and more of uh, living your life's work, right? And um, treating it in a way where you're not necessarily bouncing, but you're blending. Uh, you're living intentionally, yeah. and you are creating a lifestyle uh, that you where you have control of your life, where you're not where your business isn't running you, but you're running your business, and you're developing other people, and you're taking the initiative to train to, to create those systems, those processes, those procedures, where you can choose to be at your restaurant every day because that's where you want to be. To be. But when those times come up where you need to go support your son or your daughter or your wife at a family event, you can get away that you're not a slave to the business uh, because you are intentional and you, you did enable people around you to, 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 to do the job. You're giving them the tools to do the job. And I mean, that's what I've, I've come to realize is that it's, it's, it's that, it's that blend, right? That work life blend of living intentionally and, and making mm-hmm. it in controlling it and not having life control you. Right. Yeah, on the head of making it intentional. So things that that we talk about a lot and things I'm, I'm prioritizing, these are things I struggle in my own life, you know, it's like making it intentional. And it may sound weird to others who don't have busy lives or don't, you know, have so much of a commitment to their work lives. Um, you know, I have to plan in advance, like when we're going to be together as a family and literally put it on a calendar. And I have mm-hmm. to literally say, this is what we're doing, uh, you know, because we know that you, you're not going to know when is your day off going to be? I don't know. You know, that it's hard to plan life around the uncertainty of work, but if you do it and you commit to it and you don't feel guilty and you say, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to commit to that time, you're going to feel better for it. You know, it's, it, there's something going on in the, in the psyche of things that I also think are the misperception of what success looks like. And mm-hmm. I think people are starting to think about that more. What does success mean to me? You know, does it mean that I've, I've done what everyone else has done before me? Like you were talking about the past and like our ancestors and the culture of the food industry before us, if we were to think about it in that perspective, would be you, you committed all of your time to work. All you did. Our mentors were trained that way. And it's like, it's not until now that we say, hey, I, I got to go to an event. Mm. And it's okay because you have enough people who work for you that you could balance the schedule out. So everyone wins. Mm. Everyone gets to go to that wedding or gets to do this or gets to see niece or nephew, you know, born into this world. They're not waiting for their five. Be like, oh, I never saw them. I haven't yeah. even met them yet. I don't even know their name. You know, um, if we get over the idea of what success sounds like and we can admit like, you know what, you know what I did tonight? Another, another shop operator said, operator I know said, uh, you know what I did tonight? I hung out with my husband. We walked the dogs around the block. We had a glass of wine and I went to sleep. She goes, I could never tell people because like, that's not cool. You know, <laughs> it doesn't even sound great, but she's owned her business for seven years, you know, is a, a main staple in one of the communities that she's in. And it was like, she now goes on hikes with her husband and is proud, you know, to say those moments are part of what she does. And I do this, 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 you know, I think if we use that conjunction in sentences, I am a chef and I own this and 
when we give ourselves permission, I think the outcome of success will be different. Beautiful. Man, I can't believe an hour and six minutes has already flown past us. Uh, You've been such a great guest. And uh, before we wrap up, I do want to bring attention to to something I picked up in your conversation, and that's uh, the future. You're hoping to get into other cities. And is your plan to – obviously, you can't be in all these cities yourself. Are you going to teach other people what you're doing and how to do it? Are you hoping other people kind of start their own cooks who care in, in different cities? Is that the hope? Yeah, we're hoping that the cooks who care could set up like chapters, like somebody's in charge of another city and like they kind of like run the model. We have the digital platform for them to kind of like check in with, and give them all the tools they need to do this. And since we're doing all the test work, you know, to help how that bridges. Um, I've seen a lot of nonprofits do it that way too. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we think like a nonprofit a lot of times. Mm. Um, and again, it's like testing that out. Like, do I know that'll work? Heck no. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, but we know that it needs to go beyond Philly and mm. it needs to have some sort of, you know, foundation for people to build on. And like, what's that, that quote, like Picasso always says, like you have this idea, then it becomes something else. I love it. And that's what I love. Like we always said in every meeting, like we don't want control of it. it it's, it's best when it's organic and everybody's contributing and they have systems in place in order to know, like, here's, you do this stuff um you know we we've really dialed into that but again like every geo location like geographically we we don't know how it would pick up there like what are the challenges that la has that new york differs or you know chicago like you know we would need to do research but that's really how we see it kind of building and that if the e-space builds first where people can still kind of have like a meetup.com kind of you know, location, but for people that really struggle with finding time for themselves, that's what we want to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I don't know if you're ready to start having people reach out to you to start their own chapters. Maybe it's too far into the future, but uh, what's the best thing we can do right now to stay connected to to follow what you're doing and maybe to get on an email list. So when you do want to expand those chapters, they'll be ready and uh, you know, have the information to, to continue the work that you're doing. Yeah, I think anyone can talk to us at any time for interviews. Um, also setting up uh, what we're doing is like um, telephone interviews where we are, they don't have to like the things that they've learned, but they could do like life lessons or like lessons at this job. Like we're starting conversations with people on the telephone to turn that into PDF material that people can use at their own places because we want to help people who have this knowledge and information in their brain, you know, across the United States, we started conversations with people in Texas and California says, well, this is, um, I'm now in a controller job, you know, at this country club. And here's the things that I really needed to learn in my crash course, because the thing that people do in their business, when they elevate to another level, they have no idea how to do that level and they just do it. <laughs> so yeah. what we want to do is like, what did you do in that first, like, three months? What was critical in that first three months for you at that job? Or what are some of the takeaways that you had from, from that experience yeah. that you want to share with people? Because we want to make the learning curve yeah. shorter. 
There's <laughs> there's so much uh, uh, what we're both doing that just is so parallel and so similar. And uh, I'm just happy to know that other people. I mean, I have that imbun- uh, that abundance mentality, right? Where there can't be enough people sharing knowledge. And uh, I'm just happy to know that you're out there doing the same thing. And I get it. And uh, it's just refreshing to know that there's other people who just can kind of who get that that uh, that we have to share this knowledge. That it's up to us collectively to think like we. Uh, as an industry to, to pass that knowledge on to the next generation. And uh, I'm so honored to take this time mm-hmm. to, to share your story, to uh, share what you're doing. What's the best way to connect if we want to um, connect with you and to, to learn more or whatever. Sure. And uh, it's definitely my email. Um, I would say, and it's uh, chef M as in Maria Campbell, my last name, C A M P B E L L. And that's at cooks who care inspires.com. Um, they can even reach out like, you know, checking out the YouTube channel, you know, seeing how we are really sharing information, telling me what topics, you know, are things that people are interested in. I know with your show as well. Um, it's something that you're like, I don't want to make shows to make shows. We don't want to, we don't want to do that. We want to make stuff that, that people want to listen to mm-hmm. and they're a hundred percent off of referrals, you know? So that's, that's huge. For us. Awesome. So anything that anyone refers about, uh, I'm not sure what episode number this is going to be, uh, but I will leave the episode number in the closing thoughts. Uh, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever episode number this is. You'll find out shortly. <laughs> and uh, just thank you again, uh, Maria, for taking the time to to share your story, to share your advice, to share what you're doing to make this world a better place. I hope we can help send more people over your way to get behind what you're doing. Uh, there is no questioning. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I almost forgot to ask you. Uh, before we say goodbye, I got to have you call somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody maybe in Philly uh, that you inspire, that you admire uh, and think would make a great guest mentor sharing their story uh, here at Restaurant Unstoppable? Mm. Oh, there's so many. Uh, I'll take more than one recommendation. <laughs> you take more than one. I'd probably definitely say Sete Campar. Um, she's doing, her and her husband, um, Ange and John, are doing amazing work with like immigrants and bringing uh, more understanding of people coming to this country and like what they have to do. Um, she's amazing. I'm probably going to butcher the name, but it was like a Mohiba dinner that she does. It's bringing awareness and silly and it's like awesome. Um, what she's doing. What was the name? Tay? Um, what was the name? That Campar is the name of the restaurant. She's a great interview because she says like amazing things. All right. Look out. I'm coming after you. And, um, was there anybody else you wanted to recommend? I don't want to cut you short. Oh, no. Um, trying to think of people who do like things beyond like what they do in the operational world. Just think about it. I mean, there's so many though, but <laughs> you have my contact information. You can let me know yeah. later. Uh, it just, uh, Maria, again, thank you so much for everything. Uh, there is no question. Now I can say it. You are unstoppable. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you for doing what you do. It takes a lot of work to interview and prepare and podcast and organize and edit. And, you know, people do not understand what it takes to just put out one. It's a lot. <laughs> thank you so much uh when you love what you do i guess it makes it that much easier but uh this is i'm learning so much and uh it's it's really my pleasure thank you 
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Maria Campbell, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story and just being inspirational. Um, I feel like we hear it all the time and we hear it too often that somebody needs to do something about what's wrong with the world or whatever, whenever something's wrong, right? You just hear somebody say, who's going to do like, Somebody needs to do something about this. But the truth is we need to do something about what's wrong uh, with the world we live in. Uh, and there's a lot of broken systems uh, in the restaurant industry. And if we want to uh, create an industry that is taken seriously, it's up to us to educate people, to share knowledge and to lift our industry up and move it forward. Maria, you get that. Uh, so thank you for being somebody else who understands that uh, if we're going to really make a long lasting uh, change in this industry, it's going to come from within. And I just I just want to take this moment to acknowledge what you're doing and just uh, thank you for doing the work you're doing. And some other really cool things that came out of this interview, I wasn't really expecting it to, to go this long, but we just connected and she just, you know, she just had some so much to share. It was awesome. Uh, but I love that kind of organic advice that came out about just you know, like listening to what the world tells you, right? She, uh, people were telling her that she, she gives away too much, that she's a, a community builder and that she's, um, what was the other thing they said that she was adaptable and, um, she used those strengths. She, she had trouble finding her lane within the restaurant industry. I mean, she was kind of one of those, uh, utility players, if you will, uh, could do a little bit of everything. And she, she was struggling to find that lane and she just listened to people. And eventually the world will tell you where you belong. The world will, will tell you what you, you should be doing. So pay attention and listen, uh, that will help you find your lane. If you're looking for your lane and then, um, what else came from this? Uh, Oh yeah, just the the opportunity to maybe tag on to what she's doing. So if what she's doing with Cooks Cares uh sounds intriguing and you want to learn more, uh reach out to her. I mentioned that I wasn't sure what episode number this would was gonna be when we did the recording, but it's, it's, this is episode four twenty. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash four twenty and uh you can find Maria's contact information over there and you can reach out to her to find out how you can help or how you can get involved. Um and also yesterday of the last episode I published episode 419, I had mentioned to head down to the bottom of uh, the homepage to find the field to sign up for the email list. If you actually head to the bottom of the show notes page, so if you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 420 and you want to subscribe to my email list, uh, you can go to the bottom of the each show notes page and you can uh, see that option right there. And uh, why do you want to subscribe to the email list? I'm going to take, I'm taking this podcast on the road guys, and I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling. I'm going to be doing a lot of cool things and I want to keep you posted. Maybe I'm coming to your city. Um, you won't be able to keep track of where I am and what I'm doing by listening to the podcast because my goal is to get like a month to two months, maybe even three months of content, content score, uh, man, I can't talk three months of content scheduled into the future. So, uh, when the episodes are going live, um, those episodes could be potentially two or three months old. Uh, so if you want to meet up or have a coffee or grab a beer while I'm traveling around and go into all these great cities and, uh, connecting with incredible people in the industry, um, sign up for that email list. You'll stay up to date. And uh, also just follow me on social media. I'm going to be doing a lot more Facebook live, Instagram live, uh, and video. So head over to one of my handles, uh, Instagram and Twitter is Eric Cacciatore and, uh, Facebook is slash restaurant unstoppable. Um, if you guys can think of somebody I should be getting on the show, if you find out that I'm coming to your city, shoot me an email. Let me know. I'm always looking for leads. I'm always looking for that next mentor to make an example of. And um, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. I do accept donations. Every little bit helps. But the best way to support this show, guys, is to share it. 
who is somebody you know who's aspiring to do great things in the restaurant industry, who wants to be the leader in their community, um, put this podcast on their radar. It will help them. I was just doing some reflection the other day, and man, like I've been so influenced by the people I've interviewed. Uh, just the, the, the sheer power of surrounding yourself with incredible people, they will rub off on you. You will become the average of those you surround yourself with. And with this podcast, you can literally just let yourself be influenced by the most incredible minds in our industry. Uh, that's very powerful. Uh, so, you know, let, let's raise this industry up, share this podcast and help me out. It would be great. Uh, thank you in advance. And uh, I think that's it for now. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. Until next time. Peace out.